Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by FinPro Search Partners, the executive search form for the insurtech industry on an international basis. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to hear a bit more about our recruitment services, please visit www.wearefinpro.com. I hope you enjoy the episode. Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by Quentin, who is COO of OTT Risk. Um, well, that was a lot of letters in a the row there. Quentin, I, was, I thought I was going to get that wrong. Um, Quentin, good morning. How are you? I'm great, Alex. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, not at all. No, thank you very much for being a guest. So, um, uh, as is customary on the Leadership and Insurance podcast, um, it'd be great if you could introduce yourself and, and of course, the OTT Risk uh, business. Sure. So my background is in finance, mostly. I've been working more or less six to seven years uh, in different roles in asset management and uh, insurance. So initially working on the buy side, I moved to investment banking to cover insurance and reinsurance for matters that range from M&A, so mergers and acquisition to financing. Um, but, you know, as you can tell, I'm not an insurance insider. So I, I wasn't a broker or an underwriter before. I was fortunate to uh, meet the founders of OTT Risk two and a half years ago now. Mm-hmm. We had a, an alignment in principle and I, obviously made the switch from working in a big corporate world in a startup. So that was exciting. So today I'm the CEO of OTT Risk. We're MGA that develops parametric insurance for business interruption. Mm -hmm. So I'll get into some of that later. But in a nutshell, we serve different industries that range from retail, leisure, hospitality, travel, real estate, and digital marketplaces. The underpinning principle um, in our coverage is that we use data indices to underpin our policies or contracts. And we basically uh, chose those indices so that they correlate very well with the loss experienced by the insured. But so that's, you know, the broad uh, description of OTT Risk. Company was founded by two Silicon Valley entrepreneurs, David Soloff and Shamov Paliapitiya. So David has three decades in entrepreneurship. Shamov is a a Silicon Valley investor through his social capital fund. Uh, The two of them have collaborated in the past before, and that's their second partnership together. So Briefly on OTT, we uh, we're a team of eight. We're fully remote, so that was quite an interesting experience. <laughs> we mm-hmm. only fully met as a team a couple of months ago after two years in business. That tells you something, but mm-hmm. we we managed to to get that far. So yeah, uh, I'm excited to be here and to talk uh, business interruption with you, Alex. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Um, and business interruption is something we've talked about a few times on the pod, so I really want to dive into that. But I'm I'm always interested in this kind of genesis. Now, I don't think it's that unusual anymore. Uh, we're usually talking to people that are in a kind of startup or scale-up environment. We're usually talking to companies that are quite um, new. But it's easy to skip over how uh, 
how much of a shift that is to sort of go and work fully remote for a company, but particularly a startup company. I think it's a different thing to sort of take a role remotely with a established business, you know, because onboarding tends to be really slick, you know, the systems are there, it's all kind of got together. But but you're talking about joining a really early stage business, you know, it's, a, a, it's still only about how many people at OTC Risk now? It's about eight people, isn't there, I think, in total? Yeah. Yeah, so... Yes. It's how, you said there's an alignment of of kind of thinking. How how did you how did you how did you guys meet? Um, and then how did you kind of make that decision? What went through your thought process? Because I think that's interesting to our audience. Because a lot of people are now now we're talking about remote com- first companies. Like we recruit for a lot of companies that are fully remote, and particularly people coming out of insurance are still kind of adjusting to that role of going. It's a small company. It's got limited funding we've never met before how do you make that leap of faith well i think whenever you get in the startup world you need to be mindful that it's going to be chaotic one way or another so you're in for a ride whether that's remote or not um the the upside package that you get from there also helps you make the leap i guess um i think you have to be in a certain stage in your mind. I mean, I'm talking through my my own process here, but of course. I was kind of bored of being in a big corporate where you don't really see your impact. And whenever you meet people, whether that's through the internet or in person, and you jam with them on some cool ideas or you know values that you share, and you see a path forward, I guess you just need to ask yourself whether or not you want to take a risk and make the leap. For me, it was easier because I don't have many responsibilities. I don't have a kid yet, not married. So uh, obviously, the more you wait, the more this become a bigger consideration. But at the same time, uh, in entrepreneurship books, they always tell you that it's never the right time and you, you will always find a reason not to do it. So I guess you just need to be in the right mindset. My personal uh experience is that I met the founder personally. I happened to bump into one of them on holidays and, you know, just had a a quick chat with them. Uh, But yeah, for if I talk about the other seven employees, I think most of them are following the same type of process. We're all very excited about designing something that works for business interruption insurance. We all have some kind of emotional stake uh, in finding a solution. So that's that's what keeps you going for sure when you're fully remote, because it's been incredibly difficult, you know, to day to day connect on Zoom and stay motivated. But I guess when you have that, you, you are motivated and you 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 see um you're able to see why you're why you're working for something. Whereas if you were joining in a bigger corporate, of course the process is very structured. You have maybe a better job security, but from a mental health perspective, it might be different because you don't have that fiery passion when you wake up in the morning, the same way you could have in a, a smaller environment. My two cents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I'm always intrigued to kind of take the opportunity to ask that question because, you know, obviously I've, I've got a small business. There's, there's, there's four of us. Um, and 
you know, the one thing that I've always say when I'm, you know, we, we specialize in working with earlier stage companies. So, um, you know, there's a kind of false narrative of that you're safer in, in larger companies, but we have, we've only got to look at some of the larger tech businesses lately making these huge layoffs. And, you know, I said, the great thing about small businesses, I don't think there's any surprises. Like if you're in a small startup and it's not going well, the numbers are usually 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 literally written on a board somewhere and we can all see them and we have visibility and 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 there's that line of communication so yeah i was intrigued i'm always intrigued to ask someone's personal journey but um let's get back to business interruption um you know silicon valley investors you're not from the insurance space why was business interruption the challenge that um you as a team decided to tackle because obviously there are a load of challenges in, in insurance that you can address, but why specifically was business interruption the space that you wanted to attack? So I think the underpinning realization is that, you know, today our society is much different than it was decades ago. In other words, the economy is increasingly growing intangible with technology, with many different things. And so Today, less so, and I mean, it's becoming less common to see big business disruption caused by just physical damage. And, you know, what that tells you is that today the insurance padding is very good at covering any kind of interruptions that follow the damage to a commercial property, but less good when it become, when it starts to, you know, go into the intangible realm. So that's the, the main realization. The aha moment was COVID, of course, because you've seen a business loss at scale that wasn't tangible. Um, you know, your roof was still there, but no one turned up to your restaurant or to your hotel or what, what have you. So that was the, the trigger, I'd say, in the founder's mind to say, well, I've been thinking about this for a few years and now the we have our poster child for why we need this um so the insurance industry we obviously you can looking at innovation in insurance today you, you could innovate in many different ways whether you disrupt the distribution through embedded insurance or a business line like we are doing I think that talks to the the fact that we we're very driven to essentially bring a better solution for small and large and medium businesses. Because if I take a, a step back with the pandemic, if you're Walmart or large corporate, yes, you're gonna suffer. But worst comes to worst, you have cash, you have contingency planning. And you can raise money in the capital markets, whether or not they're depressed. If your average Joe in the corner shop, whether you're selling flowers or your hairdresser, and it's your you're an independent business owner, you're gonna get smashed by those kind of events. And you know, uh, when you're in that line of business, maybe you have cash for one or two months, and then you're out of money. So, read really there needs to be a solution for this in business interruption. That doesn't mean business interruption is solely a SME problem. It's obviously much bigger than SMEs, but I think that's where the, the, the vision came from. So I can give you a few 
quantitative examples of what an intangible business interruption event might be because we think about the pandemic but there are many different other events that could be meaningful so social unrest being french uh, i know a lot about the gilet jaune i don't know if you heard about that but the, it's basically a protest that was going on in the 2018-19 time frame uh, and uh, uh, a quick quantitative measure is that whilst there was 200 million euro of claims paid in damages by insurers, the business loss itself was measured around 2 billion plus, so 10 times bigger. And that wasn't covered because most of that loss was driven by you know people that could not come to a venue because of the protest rather than the protest damaging a venue, if that makes sense. So mm. that's one example, terror attacks. You saw large dips in hospitality and travel after the Bataclan attack in 2015 in France mm -hmm. or after the London Bridge attack in 17. So whilst the attack might be, you know, quote unquote, as small as someone knifing someone else, which is horrible, you still stand to see a big drop in your business activity if you were some, somewhat in the same area. So mm. these events need not be um, systemic because that's the usual um, argument that the insurance industry is using is that we cannot cover systemic events. But the reality is that they don't have a, a way to cleanly measure those intangible events and there is a big bunch of uncovered perils that are not systemic and that's really what we are trying to to tackle here mm. um well i wanted to jump in on a few things what, what's the what's your method of distribution are, are you still utilizing brokers as a as your main method of distribution or or can people direct by direct or was it both so well, I can talk about brokers. Brokers have been super useful and great to us, especially in the beginning, because mm -hmm. say what you will, they are experts about insurance. And, you know, we were uh, usually, I mean, we were pleased with the level of, uh, you know, creativity that they've had when they talked to us initially, because really when, when we launched the business, we didn't really have a, an idea of where to start. And some of the large brokers were very forthcoming in ways to operate. So most of our business today is sourced through brokers. So specifically, we started in what's called alternative risk transfer. So that's uh, uh, mostly broker distributed and we've worked with large companies to create bespoke solutions. What that helped us do is, you know, get a better understanding of what is the business data that matters most for those large operators, because you can bet that those operators are using the same metrics that uh, a SME or a medium business would be using. So from a product definition standpoint, it was super useful to work with brokers. The flip side is that <clears throat> it's a very slow cycle. Mm -hmm. When you, you add intermediaries in your chain, especially as a startup, 
getting product market fit is harder, in my opinion, because you're being managed in your expectations by the broker and they're doing the same for the client. You don't always know why you're not selling your product. Is it too expensive? Does it miss the mark? Um, it's not always easy. And the main point is that your sales cycle is longer. So as a startup, you need to operate and iterate very quickly, uh, especially when you're talking about problems that are shifting, you know, as we speak. And uh, that, that would be the flip side of a, a broker distribution. So today we are trying to diversify into direct to consumer. Um, I can talk later about Deloitte's lab and <clears throat> what we, we built there with one of the syndicates, but it's, uh, yeah, we are increasingly thinking about ways to embed our products directly into uh, customer interfaces. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, cause I think one of the things, so I think SMEs, it, it's different in different geographies, of course, but um, you know, obviously I buy my own insurance and um you know, I don't use a broker. My business isn't complicated enough to, to need one. Um, there's good off-the-shelf package solutions as a starting point. But secondly, I think the biggest problem with business interruption that we always talk about, and it's it's constantly talked about, even in the press. I mean, in the press, it's quite often talked about unfairly because, um, you know, obviously COVID happened. Hiscox got dragged through the courts, rightly or wrongly. Um, I know, you know, some of the commentary I had from the market was, the, the reason it was so public about the business interruption gap or was more that Hiscox has made such a play for small businesses and small businesses basically don't understand the insurance that they buy. So one of the challenges I would imagine for a business like yourself that's focused on business interruption is that there's an education gap there. Uh, when people buy insurance, they, they don't know that they need business interruption insurance. They probably don't even know a lot of them what it is. Um, is is that one of the challenges you've foreseen? Um, so, you know, is is that is that something that you've kind of thought of a way to get over? Well, I, I wonder if you were not a, a rug employee for us because you're you're saying exactly what we've lived through. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, that's totally right. The I was saying earlier that the in our minds, the product makes most sense for SME, but the reality is that you have that education gap. Parametric products are still very much, I'd say, uh, a CFO suit uh, product rather than a risk manager product. Mm -hmm. And that's increasingly true uh, when you go you know, down in the number of employees per company. So we've had, so that's why brokers were also useful because having a trusted figure in the room to educate the risk manager saying the same words we're saying, but you know, they trust the broker more than us. Um, that was one of the ways we dealt with that. The other issue though, beyond education is just uh, budget because whilst, you know, from a, an ID standpoint, it made the most sense to launch that during COVID. At the same time, people have limited budget to take up new insurance products. And mm -hmm. if anything, they always say insurance is sold rather than bought. People have a fixed budget in mind and they, they, they are just reducing that rather than expanding it. So that's another frustration. But um, that, that tells you that we, we 
whenever we pitch or we talk to customers, we try to find ways to self-finance that premium. So a quick example would be that in some, some instances, you could think that having a business interruption cover makes your credit risk slightly more attractive and maybe you can get financing at a cheaper cost if you're a medium or large company. And that's a way they can, you know, take the delta in financing savings they make to buy an insurance product that at the end of the day, uh, they're not gonna reimburse because they pay the premium. When you take up debt, you take you have to pay back principal in interest. Whereas mm -hmm. if you take an insurance product, you pay a premium and that's it. And if something happens, you get paid with your principal. Mm -hmm. So it's a different type of uh, uh, financing consideration. Hence why it's a CFO more than risk manager discussion, mm -hmm. in our opinion. Do you, there's a, I think you've said about embedding it on the journey, but presumably just having that conversation alone, there's there's more opportunities for distribution via partnership, you know, in the same way that like a lot of cyber, we work with quite a lot of cyber um, technology or, or cyber defense uh, companies. Um, and they're working with insurers to build products and they embed the cybersecurity solution. And that has a, a effect of reducing their risk exposure and therefore it gets cheaper premium. Is is that maybe the, the the distribution model that you'll follow? Is like building your parametric BI cover into into some of the kind of coverage that that probably where there's a BI gap, rather than the insurer going and creating their own kind of BI gap. Is um is that mm. one of the methods of distribution you've looked at? So I mean, very early on, we thought about because obviously business interruption can be caused by many different things. So you have mm -hmm. cyber, you have terror attacks, you have social unrest, pandemics, what have you. So for instance, in the beginning, we looked at uh, offering this as part of broader consultancy packages, like you would have a, a cyber consultant that would somehow recommend uh, a number of uh, um, and like recommend different recommendations following an analysis of a business. And one of those might be uh, take up cyber insurance for outages or business interruption. And you would slot that in. I, I mean, we, we became more mindful of, so that's, that's a valid consideration, but the way we're looking at embedding today, it's more about finding, um, a platform so for example a marketplace that already has a lot of clients buying their main product and embedding this insurance business interruption protection inside their existing product as an added feature mm -hmm. reason being premiums are smaller amounts need not be large uh like also, it's a less tedious sales process mm -hmm. to already capture an existing customer rather than find it. So I give you a, a more traditional example. Imagine tomorrow a broker comes to me and say, hey, I have this hotel um, in Oxford Street. They need cover. What can you do? That's a very you know bespoke inquiry for a small team. That's not really what we are looking for, even though we're happy to help. Rather, what I 
the way I would think about hotels business today versus one year ago, which is what I just described, is well, we know large groups of hotels are mostly um, you know franchisee operated, so they might own all the properties, but maybe eighty percent of them are run by a franchisee. So what about using the group as a platform to distribute to franchisees and maybe the group hotel gets an additional income stream through commission the way a broker would uh, by effectively being a pass through to different franchises in different regions. And that way you also, from a risk perspective, build something they've diversified much more quickly than you would by just going one-to-one to to different Mm -hmm. inquiries, which also might be more driven by adverse selection if you think about it. Because the the ones that would come to us are not necessarily the better risk. Yeah, yeah. I I, I remember having that conversation with someone about, um, we were talking about the theory of trying to launch a new auto insurer in the US. And saying, yeah, you can get loads of customers, but the customers you get are the ones you don't want because they're the ones that can't get insured elsewhere, um, which is always the challenge. So, so where are you on the development journey? Have you you you've got specific discrete products that you're distributing, presumably not not just these kind of individual bespoke, uh, as as we just discussed with the brokers, and 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 if so, which which products have you kind of got on the product suite so far? So I guess I describe our to our business today in three verticals. We have our legacy business, which is all those large corporate inquiries that we generated over the last two years with brokers. So as I was saying, it's a very slow sales cycle. So Mm. there are discussions that have started a year ago that are still ongoing and that will or will not close at some point in the coming year. Um, Then from everything we learned there, we designed commoditized industry solutions that are much more scalable or basically quicker to iterate for us. Mm -hmm. So you might have, so as I was saying in the beginning, we have solutions for different industry verticals, retail, leisure, travel, real estate. For each of those, we have data that underpin the indices. So I'll just talk quickly about the product. Basically, parametric insurance has to date focused mostly on, you know, weather impacted industries, whether that's, you know, agriculture, energy, if you're a wind turbine or solar panel, or NATCAT driven losses like Florida wind or earthquakes in California. It's a very crowded market, the parametric insurance for climate. So we made the leap of taking the same approach, but for business more broadly. So today we benefit from a very broad data regime that we didn't have 20 years ago. So if you're an hotel, what's driving your revenue? That's your occupancy rate and your revenue per room. We get that data through private and public sources. We can design a trigger that say, okay, if over a month or a quarter, my occupancy drops below X, say 70%, when I usually expect to make 90%, then I start paying you out. That's an outcome-driven payout more than a 
you know, cause-driven payout, which is usually the way insurance works. You need a cause, then you get paid. So obviously, um, people will jump and say, oh, but what do you exclude and how do you exclude things? Um, what We have two ways of excluding. One is traditional, through traditional wordings. The other is through structuring. So what I mean by that is, if you think about severity of loss and duration of loss, mm -hmm. you can start thinking about what you're going to cover. If you're saying I'm only covering a 15% drop over a week or a month, that's a, a very bad weather for your retail store type of event or a rail strike. If I'm covering the drop that is minus 50% over a year, that's your pandemic cover. So mm -hmm. you can start designing the types of events you want to cover by how you're setting the parameters of that index. The beauty of it is that because you have decades of data, I don't need to, I mean, obviously having a track record is better, but I can recreate the track record of any policy by just implementing a structure and then looking at the historical data and seeing when it dipped below the level I set. And mm -hmm. that gives me a sense of how many times I paid, how much I paid, and how much money I made or lost over the period. And that way, that's a way to basically show an underwriter uh, why you would or would not insure that risk. So that's exclusions or other events that I want to cover. Um, that's also how we tap into the intangible because obviously that data will it will not matter whether you had physical damage or not on your property if something like uh, impacted your business you're gonna get paid so that's mm -hmm. outcome driven payouts and for each of those industries we have those uh, indices that correlate well so travel maybe you're an airplane you're an aviation company um, we can measure the revenue passenger kilometers you've done over a route between airport A or B, over a country to a country, what have you. So the data partners that we have, so that's the last point on this, are independent and reputable consumer brands. So there is an argument to be made about black box models. Mm -hmm. We don't want to insure based on the black box index. No one's going to buy that. Rather, we use guys like MasterCards for car transaction data that everyone can trust. They tend to lose more reputation-wise by tempering their data. So, you know, uh, a consumer can trust that this data will correlate well with the receipts they made over the same time frame. Mm -hmm. So that's number two, commoditized solutions. Number three is very recent. And on the back of the Lloyd's Lab, we increasingly focus on the digital economy. Things like uh, Airbnb for hospitality, transit, Uber, uh, for example, food delivery, DoorDash, Deliveroo. Those type of businesses that, as I was saying before, already have a big community of users, 
where you can effectively embed that cover uh, inside the one of the features of the platform. So specifically, you have a supply and demand for something. So if you take Airbnb, it's a roof or an apartment. We focus on the supply side, more specifically on a subset, because as you know, I mean, I'm not an Airbnb owner, but I would suspect most of the owners on that platform do it for uh, leisure whenever they are not in their flat for a week or two. A very small subset will use it for business purposes. You have hotel management companies, or you have owners that have taken six or seven mortgages and have seven properties, and they mm -hmm. need to make a yield on those. And effectively, the way you would do it is you would have a, a business interruption guarantee that protects the downside on that yield so that you can at least meet your mortgage payment or whatever fixed costs you have. And that's a key differentiator for those platforms because you're embedded, you're embedding a protection that reduces earnings volatility for your users. So that's you know the evolution of number two to number three is basically baking in distribution into it and diversification because you get access to a pool of risk rather than. Uh, you know, bespoke selection by X or Y operator. Mm. Mm. I was going to ask, like, it must be an interesting reinsurance conversation to have around this sort of exposure because, you know, there's 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 a good reason why certain insurances aren't offered. I think I think that might be the counter argument. If we if we see what happened post pandemic, uh, like wordings were tightened up. You know, post nine eleven, wordings were tightened up on on kind of certain certain aspects. You know, business interruption would kind of fall in the place that you might tighten wordings or kind of not want to pay. Um, have you had any conversations about what a reinsurance challenge that might be? I mean, I appreciate your operators in MGA, but you know that is that is always a kind of consideration. Um, well, very initially we focused more on reinsurance and insurance, actually. So mm -hmm. those large contracts were designed to be. <clears throat> reinsurance cover for insurers that back to large corporate. The issue we have here is that when you have a traditional indemnity bunch of exposure on the ins insurer side and you're coming in with a parametric index to reinsure it based on a, some measure of business activity in mm -hmm. a number of industries where they're exposed, you have basis risk because the two correlate much less neatly than it would at the primary side so that's why we we later on uh, went to insurance the i mean uh what will i want to say um ideally in a status quo at the future stage you have a bunch of insurers that underwrite more parametric contracts so that at the reinsurance side that problem goes away because now you can point to the same indices. So for instance, some of our corporate deals, we have a fronting insurer that effectively just use the same construct and pass through all the risk back to us, whether on the quota share or excess of loss basis. That way it's kept clean. The problem with reinsurance is when you have a, an indemnity product at the primary side, 
and you're coming in with a parametric index to reinsure behind. Mm -hmm. We've had a lot more resistance this way. So I don't think the industry is anywhere near uh, to take up that product in its current shape mm -hmm. as reinsurance. Yeah, exactly. I thought that would be a specific challenge. Um, I'm conscious of time, actually, Quentin. So I wanted to talk to you about the, your experience at the Lloyd's Lab. You've obviously just gone through the ninth cohort. Um, what did you? How did you find the experience? And what what did you achieve in 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 that in that period of time? So very succinctly, um, we came in to design a product that was better suited for SMEs in retail and leisure in the UK. That was the, the pitch. Mm -hmm. We So the biggest value add we got from Lloyd's was access to a, a, a network of insiders. When you're a bunch of nerds uh, ram, like jamming about your product, you think it's the best in the world. But unless some insider tells you that you're full of shit, you're not going to make progress, right? <laughs> so, yeah. so that's the biggest value we got out of it was to meet with people. Uh, and that we did. And we were fortunate to meet Apollo, the syndicate from Lloyd's, who later became our mentors. And they were the Kickstarter for that whole digital marketplace. Uh, branching, mm -hmm. if you want, because they are the leading syndicate for digital economy. So they already had a bunch of clients there. And now we are working solidly with them to, to design something. As a matter of fact, uh, they backed us with their risk capacity. So that's a, a great achievement we've had over the, the nine weeks in the lab. So mm -hmm. now we are, uh, uh, we got what's called the line sweep with Apollo, which basically allows us to submit any risk to them and upon review, they can underwrite it. Mm -hmm. um, in the lab, really, it's, uh, I mean, if I can tell your audience to do it, it's really about getting exposure and getting that product check from people and being backed by great mentors. For us, it was tremendously valuable. I mean, I see now that I've been in a startup for two years, I see that it's controlled chaos in a way. You have an idea of where you want to go, but the, you don't know which piece of the puzzle is going to come next. So you just got to be flexible and, you know, take what you can. And the lab was one of those key milestones that allowed us to make progress also with other uh, insurers and underwriters, because as the MGA, and more broadly, I'd say is even though we initially came at it with an idea of underwriting risks ourselves, we quickly realized in insurance that you cannot have an exponential sales model. The capital will be your limiting factor. And so you need as many counterparties, underwriters as possible to get to solving that problem. Uh, the reality is that you cannot solve the business insurance protection gap. It's trillions of dollars, and the insurance industry doesn't have enough money to do it. However, we think that that line of product is relatively untapped, like parametric insurance using business metrics, and it would be beneficial for both the insurance underwriter side but also the buyers of insurance to you know 
push that product forward. So I'm always amazed when I hear a big, one of the big, you know, brands in insurance, like the top four reinsurers or the AXA or Alliance of the world thinking of us as competitors when in reality they could extract more diversified premiums by doing that approach. So I think it's time uh, people look at this in a collaborative way a bit more because um, the, the, the buyers need them for sure. And in reality, we think we, we have a, a way to, you know, cleanly divide those intangible risks that I talked about mm -hmm. uh, in a less scary way than they think they are. Mm. I think... Um... So, yeah. Yeah, sorry, I was just going to dive in because I, I, I think I, I'm always listening to this with sort of two, two heads on. One on the sort of you know host of a podcast head, but I'm also sitting there looking at saying, oh, "Well, I own my own business and I run, um, you know, buy insurance." And it, it, it's just more. I don't think it's as clean cut as I want an indemnified policy for. You know, I now want an indemnified policy for certain things, but for example, business interruption for me is the perfect use case for parametric because. The amount of times that businesses are waiting six months to get their claim paid on, you know, business interruption piece, and they've gone out of business because they don't have enough cash flow, and and particularly for SMEs, um, you know, I used to run a retail outlet uh, a long time ago uh, with, with with a former partner, and you know, we'd we'd have things that would interrupt business and it would get shut down, and whether it be flooding of like the space that we were, or you know, and that's obviously specifically flooding, but. If you if you extrapolated that, and I was an online store and I had internet outage, there's there's so many reasons that for us it was like cash flow was was such an important thing. So kind of parametric and that instant payment and the kind of triggering events is is so critical to um, the successful one again SME. I, I I just still think this is it's it's not as you know I want insurance policies now that are not just one thing or the other it, it's like which is the most suitable method of insurance for me at mm. that time um, and that feels to me like the evolution that we're part of at the moment um um granted i always want to give you the final word so um uh but uh just uh just conscious of our time so what's coming up for you guys in 2023 start of a new year um yeah what can we look forward to from ott risk um well we like I was saying, we doubling down on the digital marketplaces. So we have a bunch of deals that might close uh, in the coming quarters from the legacy side, but really the next few quarters will be focused on getting a pipeline of digital marketplaces or, you know, for lack of a better word, a distribution platform with diversified pools of risk that we can access to your point. I mean, if I make a quick segue, um, the way you're going to distribute at scale to SMEs or small business owners is not through education. I think it's through um, frictionless, you know, insurance, embedded insurance. If you tell an owner on Airbnb that they can somehow guarantee $7,000 of their 10000 expected over the the, the coming year for an extra $50, they're not going to look at the fine print. They're just going to sign it up. So then later on, when you start building some kind of momentum, 
people start asking the question, oh, well, those early adopters have, have done that. What does that mean for me? Can I benefit too? Can I ask my insurer to give me that kind of coverage, which is basically uh, an income protection or business interruption, uh, disguise business interruption cover? We think it's a way to make change at scale is basically make it as simple as possible to understand for the customer on the back end, let us work with underwriters and insurance companies to make sure they're comfortable with the risk they're taking. And that can be as complex or tedious as it needs to be. But for the consumer, it's about simple and fast change. And that's really with that idea in mind that we are, you know, entering the new year. So marketplaces, we have several other opportunities around uh, financing of risk. So what I hinted at earlier with credit risk, we have a few use cases with larger companies here and also supply chain delays, even though that's becoming less of an issue these days as the China's reopening. But uh, we've seen a lot of disruption, especially in the West Coast of the US uh, with supply chain delays. And we've had good conversations in Lloyds to do something here. So yeah, I, I think that's uh, the main message is uh, creating a, a simple and broader protection for, you know, the the SMEs or business owners of the world and uh, making sure insurance is a participant rather than a, a side watcher in the process. <laughs> Yeah, lovely way to end it. Um, I think it's really funny coming full circle. I mean, the podcast is about two years old. And uh, yeah, it's funny to have this. We launched it in the pandemic, which B BI was all the kind of conversation. And then since then, you guys have gone and launched a sort of solution to that. So that's kind of that's kind of perfect entrepreneurship in a nutshell. Uh, we're definitely out of time. So Quentin, thank you so much for being a guest. I really appreciate that. Um, thank you. Product. Um, yeah, really kind of you to spend some time with us. Um, thank you very much. And um, yeah, we look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks, Alex. Uh, Cheers, buddy. Look forward to talking again. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. As ever, this is brought to you by FinPro Search Partners, the executive search firm for the insure tech industry on an international basis. If you want to find out more about what we do from a recruitment standpoint, please visit www.wearefinpro.com. 